From Hamilton Place Strategies in Washington, D.C., this is the HPS Insights Podcast. Welcome to HPS Insights, a podcast from Hamilton Place Strategies, analyzing the current events impacting the business and political communities. I'm your host, Brian DeAngelis, a partner here at HPS, and today I'm I'm kicking off a, a new mini-series, if you will, on our show. One of the things I really want to do this year is introduce a lot of our listeners to some of the other great people here at Hamilton Place Strategies that many of our clients and partners work with um, and get more folks involved here on the podcast. So in the studio, we're, we're in the real studio today, which is awesome. I have with me Rebecca Buck, who recently joined us as a senior director um, Rebecca was formerly a political reporter at CNN and several other media outlets, um, the beginning part of her campaign. And I'm excited to have her in here today. Thank it's great you for to be us. here. Thank you for having me. It's great to be on the podcast and at HPS. Good. And I love this. I think we've definitely had at least one interaction way long ago. I was in this seat and you were asking the questions. So now I get a little bit of role reversal here. Uh, yeah. Should, this should be your fun. revenge. <laughs> I remember you being a great, fair reporter. I appreciate that. No revenge, no revenge needed. Um, But why don't we start here and then maybe we'll go a little backwards. So it's, um, you're not the first reporter to jump the fence, if you will, over to public affairs, but but it is a a jump. You are switching uh, sides, so to speak. Um, What made you kind of think about, I want to try this part of my career and bring you over to HPS? Well, I had been in journalism for a decade. um, And it's, I I don't think it would surprise any of our listeners to hear me say that it's a a really interesting political moment. Um, A lot changing in politics, a lot changing in media. um, And I got to a point where I was just ready for a new challenge. Um, And public affairs makes a lot of sense uh, when you look at the skill set of a journalist uh, and how you might apply that to a new career. Um, Obviously, there's the writing component, which was really important to me throughout my career. Even though I ended up at CNN, there is a lot of writing and television. And prior to that, I was more focused on the writing side in journalism. Um, But it's also... uh, a question of problem solving, thinking about mm-hmm. how best to tell a story. Um, and uh, fundamentally, I'm just kind of a nerd. And so this we for, the, for the same reasons, I loved nerding out as a journalist, learning about new things all the time. Um, public affairs really appealed to me uh, for that reason as well, because we are constantly nerding out here That's about great. different issues. Yes, so. we, are, we are very proud of our nerdum here at HBS, <laughs> which is, It does set us apart. Which is fun, yes. Um, well, let's go all the way back to the beginning. So what, what got you into journalism in the first place? And tell us a little bit about your career in journalism. Sure. Uh, I wanted to be a journalist for a very long time. Really, I can think back to middle school as the first time that I started thinking of myself going in that direction for my career. I always loved to write. um, So that piece was really important to me. And I was always interested in current events and politics. So it made perfect sense that uh, journalism would be a path to follow there. Uh, I will be dating myself by sharing this story, but I was a freshman in college during the 2008 presidential election. I went to school. That stings a little bit. Yeah, we'll move uh, on. Sorry to say (laughs) that. Uh, But I was, um, I attended the University of Missouri, which has an excellent journalism school. And back then, seems like 
a foreign concept now. Missouri was actually a swing state in that election. Um, And so we had a ton of action on campus with the presidential candidates and their surrogates. A few days before the election, uh, Obama came and did a big rally in Columbia, which is where the University of Missouri is. Um, And so there was a lot of excitement around that election. And it was a really formative period for me. And it became very clear to me at that point that I wanted to cover politics when I went into journalism. So went to Washington, D.C. immediately after I graduated um, and got my start uh, on that path. And it was a really, really fun, interesting career path uh, for that time. But it's also, as you know, having worked with journalists in your career, it's a total immersion sort of commitment. Right into the deep end of the pool. Yes. yes. The, it, it, is, it defines your life um, and every bit of your persona, uh, and it's a really demanding career as well. So um, it, there's a taxing element, yes. to be sure. And you've done a couple different stops in journalism. So right. Real Clear Politics, BuzzFeed, CNN. Tell us a little bit about the difference of... Those are different outlets for sure. I've been all over the place. Um, And it's been interesting because it just so happened that uh, my sort of entrance into the media world coincided with some major changes in the media landscape. Um, When I was coming up through college, for example, Twitter didn't even really, it was just getting started. 2008 Um, was really that first year. And even Twitter alone, not to even get into social media more broadly, has transformed journalism in so many ways in the way that we deliver our message um, and our stories and the focus of our stories uh, in journalism. So media has completely transformed in the time that I have was a journalist. Um, so I started out uh, actually in a very traditional sense as a fellow for the New York Times here in Washington, um, doing sort of general assignment stories for them. Um, and then immediately made the jump to BuzzFeed, which could not have been more different. I was their first Capitol Hill reporter. They were still figuring out what they wanted their news division to look like. Um, and you know, that continues to this day. Um, And uh, so spent a lot of time in the internet side there. uh, Went to a much more traditional outlet, again, with the Washington Examiner, doing more like magazine journalism there. Um, And then uh, ultimately ended up at CNN. So I've done it all, essentially. So I do want to pick your brain a little bit on how journalism has changed and all of that. But, But before we go there... I want to talk a little bit about the skills you were just saying that a reporter needs and and how they apply to public affairs. So obviously, strong writing, kind of strong instincts to cut through the talking points and figure out what the real story is, the real news. Talk to me a little bit about how you'll take those skills as a reporter and bring it over to your client servicing consulting side of public affairs. Well, I definitely agree with you that those are essential skills, uh, both in journalism and public affairs. Uh, One other thing I would mention is, uh, as a journalist, I was essentially a professional generalist. I had to know a little about a lot and be able to become a subject matter expert in a matter of weeks, days, sometimes minutes, sure. uh, depending on the breaking news situation we were facing. Uh, and that is something that really lends itself to the sort of consulting work that we do, uh, 
because we're consulting for clients in a range of industries with a range of issues, constantly having to learn about new things uh, and become subject matter experts so that we can be credible sources uh, for reporters as we're engaging with media. So um, that is a skill that I think is going to be really helpful when it comes to public affairs, but also just having an understanding of how the media works, how reporters and editors think about issues, um, how decisions are made in newsrooms um, is something that's really important on the public affairs side. And also just kind of having some sympathy for what they go through on a day-to-day basis and how difficult that job is. Um, Reporters uh, obviously um, get a lot of criticism today um, uh, from the public, from policymakers um, about the job that they do. But it's a really tough job, uh, very very much a thankless job. um, And because of the media industry today, uh, especially if you're looking at metro newspapers, their resources have been dwindling. They have less to work with than ever, um, one of those resources being time. Um, and so it, it's a really tough job. And so having an appreciation for that um, and knowing where you can step in and help and help them fill some of the gaps and uh, work as quickly as possible, give them the information they need, that's also really helpful. Yeah. So staying with that for a minute, we, we have a diverse group of experiences here at HBS. We have a lot of folks that have, like me, who have worked on the Hill and worked with reporters. We have folks who have been reporters or at the very least even been like a college paper reporter at others. But we also have a lot of young folks that come in. In a couple of weeks, we'll have a whole bunch of kids who just graduated college and they're starting their public affairs career. What advice do you have to them in terms of like building relationships with reporters, being a good source for them, et cetera? One of the most important things to think about is trust. And I think that's the North Star that you always have to come back to when it comes to reporter relationships. Um, You want to focus on building trust with reporters. And that starts with uh, becoming as much of a subject matter expert as you can, uh, being able to offer them helpful information. Um, And also, committing to being an honest broker, um, not trying to spin in a way that's dishonest, um, that's going to dent your credibility, um, because your only currency with reporters is going to be your credibility and the trust you build. So um, if they know that they can come to you and you will be a straight shooter and know what you're talking about, that's going to be incredibly valuable. Um, The other thing is just to keep the lines of communication open. Um, It's important to keep building those relationships and cultivating relationships when there is not a particular story that you're interested in pitching or an angle that you are trying to work. Uh, You want to just be in constant contact and have an exchange of ideas and information, even when there isn't a project that you are interested in. So this is such an important point for for our clients, for ourselves. You know, we got we all get busy and and it's understandable, but it's not a relationship if you're just going to that reporter every couple months when you have something you really hope they write on, but really maintaining that relationship, sharing ideas, that's the key. Yes. And this is something, you know, it's something that reporters have to practice too on the flip side, constantly sure. checking in with sources. This is something I learned as a reporter, but it really does help on the communication side too. Even if you have nothing to offer, to just check in, see what they're working on, see how you can be helpful, learn about what is interesting to them, and that will help you in the future. 
great. Let's take a really short break and then I want to come back and just pick your brain a little bit about what the media looks like today. You're listening to HPS Insights. We'll be right back. Every two weeks, HPS measures U.S. adults' feelings and expectations for the economy. The Civic Science Economic Sentiment Index, powered by HPS, accurately measures movements in overall national economic sentiment and provides a more sophisticated alternative to existing economic sentiment indices. To learn more, contact us through hamiltonplacestrategies.com. All right, we're back here on HBS Insights. This is Brian DeAngelis, and I'm interviewing my colleague today, Rebecca Buck, who re- recently joined us. So, Rebecca, we talked a little bit in the first segment about why uh, you're joining HPS and some of the skills you'll bring as a former reporter. I'd love to also get your take on just what's going on with the media today. Um, and I, I don't mean that in a, in a loaded <laughs> question kind of way. What isn't going on with the right. media, Brian? That's fair. Um, but I, I will date myself now. I'm old enough to have started my career when there are a lot of local papers, a lot of especially state papers had Washington bureaus, had two or three reporters covering the senators and the delegation down here. And I watched most of those folks just completely disappear um, when I was, you know, going through my career in the the Senate. And it's interesting, I I think those pressures are still there. I think a lot of the smaller papers are are unfortunately dying. I think you hear a lot about how newspapers and others have fewer resources, struggle with subscriptions. At the same time, we're also seeing like this new birth in media where just in the last few months, punch bowl, semaphore, grid, like a lot of reporters are going out and starting a new outlet. I remember the days when I only had to read playbook in the morning. Now I have to read like seven newsletters in the morning <laughs> to get all my not stuff. Not as so much of a time-saving thing. It's I not guess. a time-saving thing at all when they all make you do it and, and all make you subscribe. So I guess that's not really a question, but I'd love just your take on what's happening here. I have so many thoughts on this. And the, the upheaval we're seeing in media, um, because I, th- I really think that's the right word, because it, it it's a moment of incredible innovation, but it's also a moment where you're seeing these traditional media outlets dying. Um, it, I've had a lot of thoughts about this for a long time, because I got my start in college covering the State House in Missouri, uh, for the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, which is one of those metro papers that used to be uh, one of the shiny examples of journalism in this country uh, and now um, is, you know, a shell of what it once was. Um, Their Capitol Bureau has been gutted uh, in Jefferson City, Missouri, and this is what you're seeing all over the country. Um, That uh, to me is a tragedy seeing uh, the death, uh, for now at least, of local news um, and local and state political coverage because, as you know, really important decisions get right. made on the local and state level. And in fact, when you have a federal government that is in many ways so ineffective and stalemated on many issues, um, that's where most of the action is in terms of policy change um, and regulatory change. And so, it's really a shame that uh, 
that is the dynamic. And uh, that's one area where we have yet to see the explosion of innovation um, that we're seeing on the national level. No, I haven't really seen anyone crack the code yet of how to monetize local and state news in a way uh, that's going to bring it back and make it sustainable yeah. again. They're um, trying, right? right? I mean, I, I find it fascinating from like, a I don't know, history of the media perspective where these local papers are dying, but now you're seeing the reverse with like Axios going into a ton of local markets right. and trying to capture. And I think it's, in fairness to Axios, I think it's too early to tell if that's going to work. Yes. But the national brand kind of now bouncing back into the local market right. is, is something to keep an eye and on. And I'm, I'm heartened to see that they want to be involved in those local markets. One of the challenges, though, um, that the traditional papers have faced and now I think the new media outlets are going to face as well on the local level is just this cultural dynamic that news has become nationalized right. and people don't care about anything except for the national story. And so that I think is why you're seeing this moment of incredible innovation on the national level with media because people really do care about these stories that they're telling. They have just cracked the code of how can we tell this in a way that the modern consumer will want to read about, view, listen to, et cetera. So the way that people consume news is changing. One of the other big um, drivers of this change is the transition away from the ad-based news model to the subscription-based news model. Yes. And that, um, in terms of the tone and tenor of news coverage, has changed everything because um, you've lost some of that news, that independent voice of news media. And now you ha are catering to these fractured, segmented audiences um, trying to call your subscription base or uh, strengthen your subscription base um, and bring in new loyal subscribers. So it that has been, I think, the most significant change. Yeah. And another wrinkle to that is really the um, personality branding that now comes with the nationalization of the news. So, I mean, there have always been famous reporters, but they were famous in their market or you had your John Ralston's that were famous every couple of years because he was the guy in Las Vegas for the presidential primaries and you had to follow him and the same can be said in New Hampshire and Iowa and other places. But now you're seeing your Jake Sherman's and, and Anna Palmer and others, they get their brand from Playbook and then they can take that and export it into their own thing. And that's awesome for them. They're, they're good friends of, of mine and the firms and we're super excited what they're doing, but that's a challenge for Politico too, as these brand, personal brands become national, folks have a lot more opportunity to do their own stuff. They do. Um, and there, again, there are two sides to this. In many ways, this is a really positive change because um, it's more meritocratic. Uh, younger reporters who are really good can rise really quickly to yes. the top um, and help innovate, revive the industry in many ways. I think that has been terrific. Um, but there, there are some things that have eroded as a result, um, standards and ethics, I think, what you would consider the traditional journalism standards and ethics. The idea of those are changing as you have these disruptive forces in right. journalism um, and people sort of doing their own thing. A legacy newsroom like the Wall Street Journal, like the New York Times, they have a very strict set of standards and codes that they expect their sure. employees to follow. Some of these new upstarts, not so much. Um, they don't have restrictions on paper. 
paid speaking, for example, in the same way that the New York Times right. might. And so with the different profit models, there are a lot of different um, angles to consider as yeah. well. And that goes with social media too. So I did want to ask yes. you about your your thoughts, if I'm not putting you in the hot seat too much, on reporters on Twitter and you know how that's either a good tool for them to break news fast or can be a slippery slope in terms of engaging in the debates. But you know, the New York Times just came out a few weeks ago. They want their reporters to pull back. Um, maybe if you're comfortable giving us your thoughts, I'd love to hear them. But even as a reporter, how do you weigh how to engage in that front and not engage? I'm so glad you asked this because oh, good, my good. career has kind of followed. Twitter has been a huge part of it from start to finish. And um, I, I have evolved uh, a great deal on the question of social media and Twitter specifically. When I was getting started in journalism, Twitter was just kind of coming onto the scene. Right. Um, I didn't sign up for Twitter until 2008. Um, and uh, I remember one of my first uh, internships here in Washington. I interned for The New Yorker. Ryan Lizzo was still yeah. writing there, and I was his intern. Uh, I remember the day when I persuaded him to sign up for Twitter, and that was a very big deal. We did it together. We the world's started never been his the same. account. The yeah. world has never <laughs> been the same. I got my one of my first jobs, my fellowship at The New York Times, because of Twitter, because Ryan got on Twitter, decided to tweet that I had been a good intern. Someone at the New York Times saw it. And th this is, you know, the rest of my life changed yeah. as a result of that. Um, one of the reasons I was able to very quickly establish myself as a young reporter was because everyone was watching Twitter. I didn't have a huge platform. No one knew who I was, but I was running around Capitol Hill and able to tweet bits of news and um, without filter, without any sort of editorial process, people saw them. And very quickly, I was able to establish a brand for myself in Washington, whereas traditionally, it would have taken me 10, 20 years yes. to do what yeah. I did in a few years. Um, so that, I think, has all been really positive. Bringing younger journalists into the fold who would have had to spend a lot of time paying their dues, learning the craft before they could become a part of the conversation in right. Washington. Um, it's sort of like a great equalizer in many ways and connects people who wouldn't otherwise be connected. Um, so in that way, it's been really positive. But I think within the past few years, especially uh, sort of since the 2016 election with Trump, that has begun, begun to change and turn. And I think it's become more of a net negative for journalists because there is such a credibility problem with the media, because there's this widespread distrust in institutions generally and in the media specifically. I think it's more important now than ever for journalists to protect their credibility right. and protect their brand. Um, and protect the um, media outlets brand. Exactly. Like you mentioned a second ago, like Twitter is unedited. Unfiltered. Exactly. You're, I don't think you're running your tweets by your copy editor before you're hitting send. It wouldn't work that way. And engaging in these debates now can suck in the bigger brand into the debate as yes. well. Yes. And, and so you think of the way journalists use Twitter today and uh, immediately you never think of, you know, something really positive that has happened right. on Twitter. It's always some blow up or scandal or um, someone getting suspended from their job for a month because they tweeted something they shouldn't have. Right. I'm much more of the mind now that journalists should uh, be inclined not to tweet unless there's a really compelling reason to tweet. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I mean, I do. I see the value, to your point, of younger reporters trying to get their names out there, tweeting out their stories, adding some more context to their stories. But there seems to be a very, very thin gray line of, yeah. like, where am I just Brian or Rebecca on Twitter and where am I the CNN reporter on Twitter? And when those start to bleed, that's when it seems like most folks tend to get in trouble. Yeah, I think the cost-benefit analysis have cha- has changed over the past few years. And fortunately, media outlets have become much more savvy about this. At the beginning, it was the Wild West. You could tweet whatever sure. you wanted as a reporter. Now newsrooms have standards or they're starting to have standards. It varies. Um, I think that's very positive development. Yeah. Um, before I let you go, any any predictions or thoughts on the future of media? I mean, we did talk about this explosion and growth. Will we continue to see more of this? And are any of these folks going to challenge some of the bigger legacy media or how do young kids like Will here, our producer, uh, keep up with all this news and everything that's changing? Yeah, well, I think our young producer, Will, might uh, be a great example of how media is changing because he probably, well, maybe, well, you're a savvy consumer, I'm sure. But a lot of younger news consumers today uh, get their news less and less from the legacy media, more and more from places you wouldn't expect, like Instagram, TikTok, um, social media really primarily is driving their media consumption. And so, yes, media is going to continue to change. I think the movement that we've seen toward more fractured niche audiences is going to continue, and we're going to continue to see the the audiences splinter. Um, uh, I think the impact of this is going to be uh, what we have already seen um, continuing is media outlets that are or media influencers that are catering toward these very specific audiences and the question from a public affairs standpoint is you know how to tell your story to all of these different audiences because it used to be that you could just go to the New York Times you could go to the nightly news what have you and you could get your story to pretty much everyone. Right. You could reach everyone you wanted to reach. Yeah. Um, that is not the case today. You have to have a really sophisticated approach to tackling the media um, because people are so spread out. They are everywhere, all over the place. Um, and so, and they're targeting, getting the media in so many different ways. Yes. So targeting has never been more difficult and it's never been more important. And thinking of the different ways that you can tell your story to reach those different audiences. Well, great. Well, it sounds like it'll be some fun couple of years ahead of us. It's interesting. <laughs> it's always interesting. It is. Um, well, w- I've loved having you on the show. We'll have to Thank get you, you back on at some point. And um, behind the scenes, I'm already making the hard sell for you to host a few of these of your own. So I think uh, our audience will hear a lot from Rebecca Buck in the months ahead. But thank you for coming it. on. Great conversation and uh, excited to have you part of the team at HPS. Thank you. Thank you all for listening to another episode of HPS Insights. Uh, As always, you can find us wherever you get your podcasts, Apple, Spotify, and you can also find us on HamiltonVoiceStrategies.com or Twitter at HPS Insight. I'm your host, Brian DeAngelis. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to the HPS Insights podcast produced by Hamilton Place Strategies. For the latest updates, follow us on Twitter at HPS Insights and follow us on the web at HamiltonPlaceStrategies.com.